Thanks for tuning in to the Seattle Moodcast. I'm Tamar Libicki. In today's episode, I interview Limud Seattle 2018 and 2019 presenter Al Maiman. Al discusses a 115-year-old Sidor published in Belgrade and how its prayers and commentary illuminate the culture of the time. In it, he also found a few surprises. It's a midrashic explanation, a recounting of the praise that all beings of nature give to God. The fox, the cow, the bird, the fish, the trees. So you led sessions at both the 2018 and the 2019 Limud Seattle. Yes. So I'm just wondering, as our first question, why did you decide to teach in 2019 your session entitled A 115-Year-Old Sidor and So Much More? Well, you brought up my participation in the earlier Limuds. My relationship with Limud, even though it's not official or formal or I'm not on any committees or anything, is one of being extraordinarily supportive and appreciative of the effort in general and specifically in Seattle. So whatever I have done informally, I'm happy to do that. And uh, I enjoyed the presentations that we gave in 2018. There were, I gave two of them. And so thinking about 2019, it occurred to me that this Sidur, which I have talked about previously in an international Ladino Day at the University of Washington Sephardic Studies program, is so unique and so special in terms of what we usually think of as a Sidur prayer book that it was worth sharing something about the history, the community where, where it was written, and, and the person. He has a very interesting life. And this book as an instrument of communicating with that community of way more than the, the daily prayers or the holiday prayers. Uh, so I wanted to share that with people. That's wonderful. So I see you actually brought the Sidor in with you today. And I did. So first of all, <laughs> could you tell us the name of the Sidor and its author, and then tell us how you got that Sidor? So you'd think it'd be a simple question, what's the name of this Sidor, but it actually has several different <laughs> <laughs> names. In the title page, it's called The New Avodat Hashanah. There were a couple of editions of the Sidur called Avodat Hashanah in, in the last 100, 200 years before this one in Belgrade. And so this is the new one. And it, this new Sidur of Avodat Hashanah is called Kehilat Yaakov. Probably a nickname. <laughs> and the author, you asked the question? Yeah. His name is Yaakov Moshe Hai Altaraz. Jackal Terrace. We have in our community some people with Jackal Terrace, yeah. and that sort of got to me. And he published it in, in 1904. In his introduction, he says it's the purpose of it is to have a Sidur that is now responsive to the community and everything that has happened to it and help different people in different parts of the community relate to it. And that's why he's gone through this effort. I can't remember if you asked me another question. Yeah, I was wondering, how did you get that particular Sidor? Well, that also should be an easy question to answer. <laughs> but my father collected a lot of Sephardim, a lot of, a lot of books, and I didn't pay too much attention when I was young. And then a little bit then, when he passed away, I, I got a lot of them. 
as near as I can remember, this was one of his books. And for years and years and years, I saw it. Yes, yeah, it's a Cesar So I just went past it and didn't wouldn't find anything interesting in it. And then one day, I opened it up and I looked and I found some of these essays that he wrote. There used to be a principle of, of people who would write Jewish books of not having any white space. <laughs> so if the typesetter left something would have a page, so in order not to be white space, let me tell you this about that. <laughs> and, the, and the choices that this man made about white space and more fundamentally the choices he made about what kind of essays to write and include, I was gradually introduced to and found. And that's, uh, I think it's when my was on my father's library. I have no idea where and how he got it. The name back is not written the, the name of the person, but it's not from our. It was not a family heirloom. My dad got this book somewhere somehow, and it was in my house for a couple of decades before I opened it. Oh wow! <laughs> so I want to go back to the name. Um, yes. So you said it's called Avodat Hashanah, which is actually a name of a sidor that had been... It's almost like a genre, I think, from what near okay. as I can tell. And Avodat Hashanah means the work of the year. Hmm. But Avodah, the rabbis say, what is Avodah? What is work? What is spiritual work? It's tefillah. So Avodah is a synonym for, for tefillah, the prayers of the year. That's what that is. Oh, wonderful. And Kehilat Yaakov, I'm pretty sure because his name is Yaakov, Altaras. That was why he called it Kehilat Yaakov. It's the congregation of, of Jacob. Another thing about his name, Moshe Hai Altaras. Hai, which means life. And, and we have the name Chaim today. Many people are named Chaim, life in the plural. But this name Chai, as near as I can tell, that name was attached to a person who had been sick and, and got well. And so it had the name Chai. It turns out we say Yaakov Moshe Chai Altaras. He's really Yaakov ben Moshe Chayal Taras. Sometimes in the, in the Sephardic designation of, of, a, of, of a person's name, we leave out the word ben sometimes. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so it was perhaps his father who had been sick. Yes. So let's go to the community of Belgrade. Can you give us a history of that community to give us some context into which the Sidor was published? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because in his introduction, the first thing he does is, let me tell you about the community in Belgrade. He believes that the earliest recorded uh, record of there being a Jewish presence in Belgrade is hinted at in Yudah Levi's book, The Kuzari. Yudah Levi was recording that a couple of hundred years before him, there was a rabbi named Chastai ibn Shaprut who lived in in the Iberian Peninsula, and he got a letter from the king of the Khazars asking questions about Judaism and telling him his whole journey and his story. And, and there was a correspondence. The Pony Express <laughs> of those days, one of their stops was in Belgrade, as listed. <laughs> and, so, and so he says there's a continuous presence. And from that time, then one of the other uh, points of history is with expulsion of the Jews from the Iberian Peninsula, Spain. They came and they, and, they, and they landed in the Ottoman Empire, and this was part of the Ottoman Empire, and they brought with them the Latino language, and, and they were there for a long time. And even before that, he goes into records, civil records, about whether or not and what kinds of rights the Jewish population had during different periods of history. And one of the interesting things that he concludes from giving this introduction is now that we are independent, it was back and forth of being independent from, from the Ottoman Empire, then the Austro-Hungarian wanted part of them too, and, and so back and forth, but they had achieved independence sometime in the end of the 19th century. So we are indigenous 
is the point that he wants to make. We've been here as long as almost any other people who are in, in Belgrade. So that was one of the th things that, that he was saying. And he also then talked about the continuous uh, rabbinic and spiritual leadership that was present there. And then he gives page upon page of rabbis at different, of different times and how they, they went. So it's not very popular a city. We don't, we don't hear much about it. And as a center of publication, it was also not so productive, didn't do so in terms of quantity. Vienna and Livorno, Leghorn, and in Turkey, Istanbul, other places have way more books that were published. But I, f I subsequently found out that in Belgrade, they published some significant publications, and they were not necessarily such a large publishing house, but a significant one. In the Balkans, one of the interesting aspects of that part of the Ottoman Empire, because there was this back and forth with Austro-Hungarian or the, the uh, Empire or other national movements and, and back and forth with the Ottoman Empire, this was sort of like a melting pot of Ashkenazic and Sephardic cultures. And so there were active communities from both traditions coexisting there. And in Vienna, there was a big, big Sephardic synagogue. No one ever knows about Here's about that. It was amazing. And I don't know if you're going to talk about it later or not, but Theodor Herzl, who's the father of modern Zionism, there was a rabbi, Yudal Kalai, who was a rabbi in Zimlin, which is a, which is a suburb of, of, of Belgrade, where Herzl's grandparents lived. It's documented historical fact. He used to come and visit his grandparents. And that rabbi, he was one of the very earliest religious Zionist thinkers, and he wrote a lot of different books about coming back to the promised land and establishing a state and all that. So in Herzl's brain, when he was a young kid, <laughs> it got established. And this Al-Taras, he was a student of that. And one of the things he writes here also, at the same time as he's, he's saying we are we are citizens of this new nation, and we've been here a long time, and we have and rights to it. He also talks about and the importance to the Jewish people of the land of Israel, and, and hopefully we'll be able to soon find our way to do that. So he has, and it's the same guy in same in the same book, and it's Isidore, <laughs> and he finds space to talk about those those things. <laughs> so, in your notes about the community from your slides on the session. You referenced two things that really intrigued me. One was the chevrot for mm -hmm. social needs. Yes. And one was taxation. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about both of those and did they overlap? Okay. So for the, all of the years of Jews living in diaspora, wherever, wherever they lived, they had more or less political autonomy, more or less insular, independent self-governance at a local level. And their authority derived from the country, the monarchy, the, the government that they lived in. But taxation was an instrument that was used to provide social services. So there, some of the taxes were regressive. They were you know, food taxes and other taxes. They were you know, based on asset value and, and, and surprise. There was a tension between <laughs> how much tax should come from the people on necessities of meat and uh, cheese and, and all that kind of stuff and how much of it should be paid for by the gvirim, the, quote, nobility of the wealthy people in the community. But they had authority that was vested in them and it was a little bit murky, and it changed. Sometimes they also were collecting taxes 
as a body to send to the government. Instead of the government having to go and task all the members of the Jewish household in, in that community, they said, okay, you're the leadership of the community. Here's how much you're going to pay. Take a census, and here's how much you pay us. And so they had to also then become tax collectors that they sent off. So what do they do with the tax money? Well, there were a lot of things that they did, and these chevrot were societies. Sometimes the governance of that was never a popular vote, but it was sort of brought more democratically chosen than not. Sometimes it was it was skill-based. It was profession. If you had that kind of mm-hmm. uh, of skill, of teaching, or of, of providing social services, or providing chevra kadisha, the, the chevra, right? They, the chevra, which we have around now, <laughs> left over, unfortunately, is the burial society. So they're the ones, and how did they fund their efforts? And not all, but much of them, I think, were funded through the collection of the taxes. See, another thing, the social order that they had charge of, even though they didn't have government force, there was a, a sociological force that was exceeding to the leadership. And the leadership was made up of a combination of rabbinic leadership, and they had courts, and they had decision-making bodies of, of all things having to do with religion, and that meant a lot more back then than it does now. And at the same time, there was a civil body of community leaders, and the tension between who's working for who, <laughs> also it was very dramatic, it led to a lot of intrigue throughout, throughout Europe and throughout the Ottoman Empire. All of this sort of was a part of that dynamic. So let's switch topics a little bit. Can you give us a short biography of the author of the Sidor? As I recall, when he was a teenager, maybe a little bit older, he went to Israel, he studied, he, I think he became a shochet and also an educator. Then he moved to Belgrade, and I'm not sure how he earned his living. I think it was some combination of shechita and a teacher. And I said he was a student, a pupil, a follower of Idal Kalai, and was very active in the community in a lot of other ways. He was known in the community, and it served the community in a lot of different ways for a lot of years by the time this got published. So you were talking about one of the teachers he studied with. Can you talk about a little bit more about his worldview and what might have shaped it, how he interacted with the modern times and keeping tradition alive and how he dealt with that. This is a Siddur. This is a prayer book. And the baseline of this book is with translation and explanation in Ladino of the prayers so that every Jew in this community can relate and understand what prayers are appropriate in a very general sense and what to do because the commentary is a commentary and an explanation. And the explanation is going to stand up here, sit down there, and, and this is what you should be looking at and what you should be doing. And it's in Ladino. And he covers not only those events that occur in the synagogue or in the community, he also covers events that occur at home. One of the things that's really interesting to me here, we were talking before about the Hebra Kadisha, there is a lot in a lot of different sections, and it has a special section or two to talk about God forbid when someone is, is in mourning for someone. Making your sight, I have to tell you, I can't resist. One thing about me, I go to sidebars all the time. <laughs> I, I use the word your sight. I could show you here the word your sight. Where's that from? Where's that word come from? Is it Yiddish? Yeah. See, it's German. Your sight, the year, the, the time of the year in a Sephardic book. And it turns out, that that word, yurtzeit, 
has been used among Sfaradim for at least 200 and 250 years. I found it in earlier books than this one. And we say in Seattle, we call it a meldado. Meldado means to read, and we read Mishnayot, and that's why we call it meldado. Other people say Yom Hashanah, or Yom Zikaron, or something like that. There is no universal Sephardic Ladino word for commemorating uh, the anniversary of the death of a person. And there's a rabbi who wrote a book in the 20th century, and he calls it, and so he mentions your site, because someone asked him, is there a Sephardic word like yours? He says, no, it's your site. <laughs> and he said, he says in Hebrew, kenere nistardefa hamila. Nistardefa, if you don't know Hebrew and the grammar, nistardefa is a reflexive. It appears that that word was Sephardified. <laughs> <laughs> so here, his fundamental reason for this book is to put in the hands of people that in the 20, early 20th century to know what the occasions are for saying certain prayers, why, what they mean, and how to observe them individually and collectively. So his bottom line is, we are Jewish people, and this is a very important part of who we are, what we are, and do that. Then he adds about the citizenship, and he says, if, if our forefathers were living in the Ottoman Empire, were sort of repressive in Muslim society, and they managed to persist and, and be religious and stay good Jews, how much more so we, who are independent, we have a nation of our own, and we're citizens and free, how much more so should we do this? So here, I'm going to put this information in your hands so you'll be able to do it as a free citizen. And then he talks about Alkali's ideas of, of the Jewish state, and then he says, there's an introductory essay about the value of education of the women in our community, upon whom everything depends. I mean, that's the title of the section. And he said, we're missing the boat among Sfardim. We just sort of assume that in the house, the women are going to know things and take for it. If they, if they don't know it and they don't know why, then I don't think we can count on them doing it that way anymore. So he's reflecting this shift from tradition. Why do we do it? Because my mom, my dad, my dad, or whatever, and don't ask any questions. <laughs> he said, maybe that worked, but it ain't going to work anymore. And so what we need to do is open up ourselves to the women in the community. And then I mentioned that at the end of the book, there's two things that he includes here that you won't find in very many Sidurim. One is Megillat Antiochus, and the other one is uh, Maaseh Yehudit. Both of those are they're apocryphal, and they're not said hardly anywhere anymore today. And they're used around Hanukkah time. And Megillat Antiochus is talking about the fight with the Maccabees and, and all that, something we know. And then he had some white space at the end of that. <laughs> and he said, I'm telling you this here now so that we as a people will be proud that in our history we have heroes, military heroes who are willing to step up and, and give themselves in honor of God and for the Jewish people and for the land. And he says that there. Then he gives Maaseh Yehudit. Also, no one really knows for sure when it was it, and it's not clear what it has to do with Hanukkah, but it's something that's said in Hanukkah. Let's talk about a woman who was living in Jerusalem and who was, there was a siege and it was not good for the people and what to do. So she went out and took the law in her own hands and she went out and killed the, the king who was there. And because of her, the people were saved and everything. Like that. And that's what we say then. White space at the end of that. <laughs> and he says, I'm here to tell you that 
not only in our history. Let us remember that we have heroic men, we have hero heroines who throughout our history, and he goes back to the Bible and coming all the way up to say, have given their lives and have saved, not just at home, but personally engaged into the welfare of the Jewish people. So we have heroes and heroines in our history, and with God's help and the enlightenment of the enlightened nations of the world, before too long we'll be able to go back to our la land of Israel and, and have that together. So he's combining women, he's combining nationhood, he's combining Zionism, he's combining, this is in a Sidur, so you get to see who he is. And he says, you have to pay a special attention and give special honor to those people who dedicate themselves to community service. You asked before about the Hebrew and the teachers and all that. There's another section that says we have to honor them because they're making the sacrifice and they're helping us fulfill our obligations and they know more than we do in, in those regards and we should learn from them and respect them for them. So he's got one foot He's got, I don't know how many feet he has. <laughs> He's in so many different places. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Could you give a basic outline of things that are included in the sea door? So if you were to read it from the front to the back, what's the flow? What's included? In the beginning, the introduction, and he has this preface about Belgrade in, in its history and rabbinic lineage and how this Sidur fits into the tradition of Sidurim there. And then he gives the, uh, the Haskamot, and then he gives his essays about having respect for the people who work for the community, of making sure we're going to teach our women folk upon whom everything depends and how we are citizens of this new country and we should go. So all of those kinds of things. And then he also includes like a table of births and deaths and family names. So that also is something that it's traditional for families to keep births and deaths of family members that they have it on their chumash or whatever, the inside back page. So he gives two tables so you don't have to make up your own. <laughs> Very organized. And then he starts off with a prayer, like a regular prayer book. Okay, we're ready for the prayer book. And he, he gives the morning prayers and where you start and what you say. And he starts way earlier than we usually start because people used to get up in the middle of the night and say some things. And he's got that there too. And he goes, the prayers before the korbanot and the, the sacrifices and the zimirot, and the chapters from, from Psalms and other places. And then in the morning, everyday morning, Shema and Amidah. And then when you take out a Sefer Torah and how you read the Sefer Torah. And then he talks about the efficacy of Kaddish and the importance of Amen, both with regard to the Kaddish, but also in general. Prayer is not a performance. It's meant to be a communal event, and each body has its, their own role in what to play, so how to be a good uh, participant. In the 18 blessings of the daily blessing that we said, he'll give it a name that says what it is, and then he'll give a paragraph explanation of what it is, besides translating the words to say what, this, what the purpose of it is. But it's regular sidur, but he adds that there too. Then, if there's special days, he'll give you Rosh Hodesh, the first month. And then every once in a while, he'll include a Ladino Romanza, a song that used to be sung in this occasion. Some of them we know, and it's interesting to see the text that he uses. Some of them we don't know about, so it's a really very interesting source of that kind of stuff, too. Then he gives you everything about Shabbat, and then he talks about Purim, all the typical things. One thing that he didn't solve here is the need to go back and forth is repeated 10 times. So in those days, paper was precious, so he wouldn't repeat it that many times. He said, oh, say over here, go back there and say that. He didn't solve that problem. <laughs> and then he has after Shabbat, and that's where he has another, he has one of those songs I was talking about. And he says, counting the Omer. And then on the Friday 
evening Oshir Oshirim, uh, which is the Song of Songs, which many people say that instead of the Kabbalat Shabbat, or some people say both, then he has the blessings of the Kohanim, and then he has life cycle events, engagements and marriages, and then the different blessings that are said if you're a woman giving birth has to say a blessing that's thank God for saving her that is said generally anybody gets saved he puts that in there there's the blessing for the government which is interesting and then see he's going back and forth now he comes on Shabbat in the morning or so for Shabbat at the night he'll start with Shalom Aleichem and, and Kiddush and then other things that were said there and then Bekaramazon, because that's when most people were saying it, it was then. And then Kaddish in the daytime, and then Havdalah. And sprinkled in here were those things of people who were mourning what they did and what they said. Then he has other life cycle events, the bris and Pijona Ben and a, a funeral. And if you have a house, if you build a house, you know, you post that remembrance of, and what you say, how, how you, I don't know, say, I can't remember the English word, Hanukkah it's the... Sanctification. Yeah, or? of the house, yes. And then he got a lot of things about the limud, about the yorzeit. Then he sneaks in things for the holidays, like... Uh, Erev Pesach, Kal Chamira, you know, to, when you when you take get rid of the chametz at home, and then when the holidays falling Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, you have to make something special, and, and then the kiddush and all those holidays for the set, and then he includes Pirkei Avot, uh, and we say the Pirkei Avot in the six weeks between Pesach and Shavuot, and we say them in Ladino, so he's got them here in Ladino. He also includes something. It's really cool. It's called Perek Shira. I'd never seen that before or heard that before. It's a midrashic explanation, a recounting of the praise that all beings of nature give to God. The fox, the cow, the bird, the fish, the trees. I've seen that at other places. I've not seen it in a Sidur before, so he includes that. And then he has the Maaseyudit, and that's it. One thing that really caught my attention was the middle of the night prayers that you talked about in the very beginning. Yes. So was that like if you had insomnia and you woke up in the middle of the night, you would say it? Or did people like every single night wake up and say those prayers? That is an example of something that could be done. And some people don't even know about it anymore. Most people don't even know about it anymore. Other people they will find themselves in that particular stage of life at least every single night. They'll get up and they'll do tikkun chatzot, tikkun rachel, tikkun le'ah. Because at nighttime is an especially vulnerable time. It's an especially appropriate time to have a communication with God about what's going on in your life and what, what can be done and what we need. There's a special rhythm to the day that up there something's happening. And so there's windows of opportunity to do and if you really want to be opportunistic, you're going to take care of, the, of those opportunities, right? And some people do it all the time. Other people can't, don't. And then what happens is most of the people, they don't know about it. And then we have this discovery here. <laughs> so in the back of the C-Door, there's a list of people who contributed to the C-Door. Could you talk a little bit about those pages? Yes. This is not unique to this book. There's encyclopedias that have been published volume by volume, and each volume has a list of donors and where they come from, their names, and all of that. 
when I use the term crowdfunding, that's really what this is because it was very expensive. It was like a pre-publication announcement, and sometimes they could afford it themselves or they would get a donor to essentially underwrite the publication. But he is using this technique. I'm not sure how much of the publication actually was covered by it. He has the names of the donors, and it's listed with a major sort being where the people are from and the minor sort being by name. The main list are the people coming from Belgrade, more than, a, more than a whole page of them. Then, within Belgrade, there's these Kolelim and Hevrot. One of the Kolelim ordered 20 books worth. They contribute that much. The Hevra of Rechitza Gedola, Onig Shabbat, Gemilul Chasadim, Ezrat Achim of Belgrade, donated some more. And then there's a whole big list of people who were, who were the donors. But basically, these are the social organizations performing particular functions like social services or making sure everybody had a Shabbat or whatever. Then after that, he's done with Belgrade, and he lists donors from Sarajevo, one of which is his dad. He mentioned that staying up late night. There was a group of people in a city called Nish. I don't know where that is. There's the called the Tikkun Chatzot of Nish. That group of people used to get up at night. <laughs> they, they made a donation. There's two, four, six, eight, nine of them. And, and, and some of them are listed by doctor or advocate or lawyer or teacher. But most of the time they didn't have their profession with them. Th these lists I find very interesting because you can sort of get a feeling of family names and, and also of what people did. Those are the last few pages of the book. So what messages from the Sidor do you think resonate today? What's important to understanding the Sephardic and, and Ashkenazic different approach to Judaism, not to say one's better than the other, there are some fundamental differences. And one of the differences is that the Ashkenazic approach, because it's starting in the West and it's scientific method and, and it's enlightened and all that, we feel compelled to categorize and subcategorize the genus of, <laughs> of religion. So it's what I call adjectival Judaism. And if you believe something or you want to you do something, then you have to associate yourself with that group. And then we have to remember and figure out, hey, we're one people and we have to do it together. But the basic approach is what kind of Jew am I? And that has its attributes, it has its pluses, and it has its minuses. The Sephardic approach has been that there is no adjective in front of your sect, <laughs> if, if you will. There's a very wide range of practice and even of belief, but the tent is sort of big. There's ins and outs, for sure, and there's people who are admonishing people to do one thing or not do another thing, to get with the program and all that. We don't choose to give ourselves that differentiation. To me, this book, because he's writing the way he's writing, all those subjects that he's writing in terms of nationhood, in terms of peoplehood, in terms of men and women and teachers, and he quotes the Kabbalah here just as much as he quotes the rationalists, but he doesn't give them labels and, and titles. So to me, this approach to writing the Sidur is reflective of that worldview, that it's all Jewish. <laughs> and then all the specific things that we've talked about, how he chooses to fill up the white space, this book which fundamentally is a prayer book. And it gives me a better feeling and appreciation of how prayer fits in my life and my life fits into the prayer. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you.
The Seattle Mooncast was recorded at Full Track Productions in Seattle, Washington. It was produced by Dave Dintenfass and Tamar Lubicki, with original music by Sergi Feldman. Thanks again to our guest, Al Maiman.